Father, we know that you're ready. We just thank you for the words that we've already had today, the worship, just knowing that we are chosen, just knowing that. Lord, I pray that you bless this time together. I pray that we might receive something from you afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, at various times when the children are all in, um, we, we, do, we move away from the normal preaching series and we, we do a, I, th- I would call it more like a talk, and it's entitled Adventures with Jesus. And focusing upon the lives of people since the time of the Bible, uh, people who have been Christians who've done amazing things in their adventures with Jesus. So we've had a range of people, um, like for instance, Brother Andrew, who did, uh, took Bibles out to the East. Uh, our own Joan Haig Ferguson, who worked as a missionary in Nepal. Um, we've had uh, Eric Liddell, who was the Olympic run- runner, who also became uh, a missionary. Jackie Pullinger, Oh, they're all missionaries, aren't they? Jackie Pollender, James Fraser, Mother Teresa. Wonderful people who, um, who were Christians, that's followers of Christ, and who, um, just under the power of the Holy Spirit, did amazing things, had tremendous adventures. So this is not a normal type preach. This is a, a talk about people. And I want to... I think, just first of all, uh, could you put up the next slide, please? Um, I realize that we've got all the children in, and um, for those of you who are under seven or eight, at the back there, there are some sheets which look like this. Uh, that's seven or eight or under, not 78. You know, I know you might prefer to do some coloring. I'm looking around for the knitters and the crocheters at the moment, but I can't see any. But anyway, there's some sheets for you and some colouring crayons at the back. And what I would really like is that afterwards, if you've done that, if you would bring it up and show me, I'd really like to see it. I'm not giving you a prize, but I really would like to see it. But I'd also like you to tell me what you think one of the squares means. Okay. Famous people. But today I actually want to talk about some people who are not famous at all. Um, you won't find they'll have wiki pages. Uh, you may have only heard them because somebody like me has told you about them. Uh, but I'm going to give you their names. And they had an amazing adventure in their home area. Uh, they are a Peggy and Christine Smith and a Donald McPhail. First of all, I'm just going to mention holidays, because it's holiday time. Has anyone been on holiday? Has anyone been? Where, the Bambas, where have you been? Where, sorry? Florida. Was it warm? Was it warm? Aren't holidays superb? They are some of the times we most remember, for the usually good reasons. Times when, yeah, we may well have an adventure indeed, but also that they, um, they're a time when you can rest, whether you do something new, see new things, new places. Sometimes a time when you're just being restored, rested, and revived, even. And I'm going to show you a few holiday snaps, just, just straight off. So let's have the first one. Now, this is, these are three of my family's favorite places. This is the Chamonix uh, area of the French Alps. 
This is a, a, a walk we do regularly. We've been about here about a dozen times to Lac Bleu, looking across to Mont Blanc. Great area. Next one, please. This one, we go nearly every year to the same cottage. Uh, the peninsula that sticks out of the top of Wales goes down called the Clin Peninsula. Right, you might have heard of Abbasoc. If you keep going, you get to a place called Abadaran. If you keep going, you get to this. And there's a walk around the headland looking at this island. This is a very special island. It's, it's not as commonly known as Iona um, or Linda's farm, but it's a very similar frame. We've been on it a couple of times. We just love it there. There's something very special about it. Um, next one, please, Toby. Doesn't Toby do a good job? Doesn't Toby do a good job? Give him a clap. Thank you very much. I don't know what we do without folks on this. The other one is Alison and I, every May, go up to the west coast of Scotland, and um, usually on the mainland, but we've been on all the islands, and more recently we went out onto the Outer Hebrides, which is this line of island, and taking a drive up through the islands, uh, these islands up through Harris, and then we had a, a week booked on Lewis. Um, and um, they, are, they are very special. And when the first time we went over and took the drive up, we came to this island of Harris. We then had, next slide, I sound like that chief medical officer, don't I? <laughs> next slide, please. Um, this, this is called Luskentire. Now, this is I'm going to put as my favorite place that I've ever been on holiday. It is very, very special. You would think that was in the Bahamas. Well, I haven't been to the Bahamas. Is it like Florida? I don't know. I haven't been to Florida either. But this is an exceptionally special place, and it looked just like this. Uh, only we were staying on Lewis, which is the next slide, please. A place called Shawcross, which was rather different. Shawcross and the area up on the northwest of Lewis is very rugged, full of bogs, peat bogs. All the trees bend in the same direction of the wind, and, and the leaves are only on one side and the branches. If you've ever been there, you'll know. It's quite, it's got its own rugged desert, desert, yes, um, attractions to it, but it is bleak, and when the, the, when the rain and the wind go, you certainly know about it. And actually, if you get next slide, please, the towns aren't that interesting either. This is very typical of a line of towns called Barvis and Arnold and Schrader, Calloway, and they, they run for a, a mile through, all down the sides with little side streets and uh, small old houses which are usually fallen apart, um, and then modern, more modern bungalows built in their place. And it's not definitely not the prettiest of places, but we had another reason for going here. This was the area, this particular was the site of the last Christian revival within the UK, which is in the, uh, from 1949, 1952, that's that time. So last century, it sounds a long time ago, but it actually isn't. Uh, I was born in 1955. It's within living memory of people who, who were there. I, I should just for particularly for the youngsters, if you don't know what I mean by a Christian revival. I'm not talking about New Day, which is great, and, and God blessed. I'm not talking about devoted. I'm not talking about Spring Harvest or any of the big organized evangelical weeks that are, that are 
organized by people. I'm not talking about that at all. Christian revival is very specifically where God decides to hold an event and does it amazingly. And people, and the people just know it. And it's not just Christians who know it, because it's usually Christians who go to these other events. It's God has turned up. His presence is manifest everywhere, and everybody knows it, and is impacted by it, and it has an effect on the community. In this particular one, 75% of the people became Christians in the, in the whole of the area, not just Barbas, just the whole of the area. It had a major impact. And the people I want to talk about, the names I mentioned before, are people who had a part to play. Uh, most people will have heard of Duncan Campbell, who was a minister who was involved in it. But actually, there were some very important people in there who had an adventure like no others. A couple of them. Next slide, please. Uh, of this couple. <laughs> but all, these are the two sisters on either side. So this is Peggy and Christine Smith. They're in their 80s. Um, Peggy is blind. Christine is ridden with arthritis. They didn't even go to church. Um, and at that time, in 1949, churches were very traditional. Um, generally, only adults, in the main, only adults went to church. The younger people had no interest in it at all. It's a few years after the Second World War. The younger people, young people had come back. Really, Christianity was not of any great interest. The church was empty of young people. And the churches had a more of a traditional outlook. Um, for those of us who are adults, you would know that phrase, thou shalt not. That was very characteristic. For children, you will say, don't do that. And you will know what it is that I'm talking about. Didn't seem to have uh, a lot of life in it. But these two sisters have been Christians for a, a long time. And they sensed that the Lord was moving in their area. And the, the, the verse that they referred to was in Isaiah 44.3. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. And they started a two-weekly prayer meeting in their house. Now, these prayer meetings ran from 10 p.m. to 3 p.m. You can see there wasn't a lot to do on the Isle of Lewis. But anyway, this, is, this is, was significant. They decided they would do this uh, in response to this word. And Peggy had a, a vision. And it was a vision of the churches filled with young people. Young people. And so she called the uh, local minister of Barbas to her house, a Reverend Mackay, and said that this was going to happen. And he said, well, what do you want me to do about it? So she said, do what we're doing. Call the leaders to pray. And he listened to her. He respected their spiritual insight. And he gathered the leaders of their town and area together. And they, twice a week, as they were, the two ladies were praying in the house, they would pray. And this went on for several weeks until a date in December 1949, when uh, a young deacon at this group said, we've been doing this for a few weeks now. I'm bringing a word from Psalm 24. 
Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And he said to his peers, and his betters, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, we're doing all this praying, but unless we're really right with God, this is going nowhere. And obviously he wasn't there. I've only read about what had happened. But at that point, the power of God just came upon that particular meeting. And they prayed and they prayed. And when they went outside, the whole town was lit up because the people were out there. They knew something had happened. And this was the start of the revival within the area. And actually, Peggy Smith then sends for the Reverend Mackay again. He must feel quite daunted by going and seeing this particular pair of sisters and says that she's had a word that they need to get an evangelist, a speaker from outside here, a Gaelic speaker, because they spoke Gaelic. Um, English is not the first language to come in and help them with all that's going on. Because the revival was underway. And then there's a whole story about how Duncan Campbell gets there. But at first, he says he can't come. He's identified as the one they want, but he can't come because he's doing another mission in, on Sky. And uh, Reverend Mackay goes back to Peggy Smith, and Peggy Smith says, tells her the bad news, and she says, um, Mr. Mackay, Alex should be reading these, actually. It would sound a lot better. Mr. Mackay. <laughs> that is what man is saying. But God has said something else. And he will be here within a fortnight. He was there within ten days. Because his mission was cancelled on Sky. And after an arduous trip across, anyone who's been across that water will know what I mean, and the boats went as good as they are now. Um, he arrived, they met him on the pier, and he had back-to-back -back meetings to speak at. So I don't know why Roger complains. <laughs> you know, remember him while he's in Mexico, because he is doing back-to-back -back meetings on arrival. So, uh, so he turns up. He comes for a few days, stays two years. That is the impact of the revival on this area. The majority of the population, as I said, become Christians. Courts close because there's no crime. The drinking culture, which is amongst the young people, <laughs> just seems to cease. And the churches are full of young people. The story doesn't finish there for these two, Peggy and Christine Smith. And I'm just going to read it because there's several quotes in it and therefore will excuse me if I read it rather than tell it. When the movement was at its height, Peggy sent for Duncan Campbell, asking him to go to a small isolated village to hold a meeting. That's a village away from the area. The people of the village did not favour the revival and had already made clear their policy of non-involvement. Duncan explained the situation to Peggy and told her that he questioned the wisdom of her request. Besides, he added, I have no leadings to go to this place. She turned in the direction of his voice. She was blind, remember. 
Her sightless eyes seemed to penetrate his soul. Mr. Campbell, if you were living as near to God as you ought to be, he would reveal his secrets to you also. Duncan felt like a subordinate being reprimanded for defying his general. He humbly accepted the rebuke as from the Lord and asked if he and Mr. Mackay could spend the morning in prayer with them. She agreed, and later as they knelt together in the cottage, Peggy prayed, Lord, you remember what you told me this morning, that in this village you are going to save seven men who will become pillars of the church of my fathers. Lord, I have given this message to Mr. Campbell, and it seems he is not prepared to receive it. O oh Lord, give him wisdom, because he badly needs it. How to deal with your pastor when you know you have the word of God speaking to you. Duncan Campbell says, all right, Peggy, I'll go to the village. When they finished praying, she replied, you'd better, and God will give you a congregation. He duly goes. There's a meeting in a large bungalow. He wasn't expecting a promising welcome, but there was a full congregation waiting for him. And he did indeed find the seven people who would be the people who would organize that church for the future. Amazing adventure. Two elderly ladies. God was not finished with them yet. I can find nothing about them after this time. Somebody else, the other end of the spectrum, Donald MacPhail. Here's his te- just a little bit of his testimony. It was in the early spring of 1950, at the age of 16, that I found myself really gripped by fundamental thoughts which concern my eternal welfare of my soul. Clearly a searching teenager. It says that he never knowingly had attended a church before, certainly not in his village, which was Arnold, not Barvis. And he, he resisted. Um, his testimony is just written on a single sheet of A4, but he resisted, and it goes into his battles. But Duncan Campbell came to the church, and he decided he would attend. And Julie, he was prayed for in a prayer meeting afterwards, and he became a follower of Jesus, became a Christian and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that would be the testimony of probably a whole heap of people at that time. But God had singled Donald out for, you know, an amazing work, a real adventure, and it started very soon. Duncan Campbell realized that whenever... Donald prayed, so this is the 16-year-old, by the way, you know, amongst all the adults. When he prayed, God just seemed to answer. And there's a, Duncan Campbell tells a tale of when he goes round to the, uh, to Donald's house, and Donald is in a barn with his Bible opening, praying, and Duncan, as they would do, quietly interrupts him because he wants to speak to him and (laughs) Donald says to him, excuse me a while Mr. Campbell, I'm having an audience with the king now 
I'll take that, that that was said in all sincerity rather than the slight flippancy that I might have taken that. But um, this was a prayer warrior in the making. Some of the most vivid outpourings of the Holy Spirit in the area was when Donald prayed. There was one in a, a, in a police station. Now, that sounds grand, but it's actually just the house where the policeman lived. And, and there was a meeting. Lots of meetings were held in houses. It's really important to know that the big events were not happening actually in the church. There were loads of meetings going on after the church services. They usually finished at 11 o'clock at night. And people would then move to houses for prayer meetings, for actually receiving her, where the, real, the big evangelistic work was actually done on a one-to-one basis. This one was in a, um, this police station. And Donald was just called upon to pray. And he, nobody remembers the word past father. Because everybody, the power of God just came upon the whole room and took, took over. Another example was when um, in a place called Bernera, that Duncan Campbell was, and, and this does happen apparently, um, when he was preaching he realized he was getting nowhere. It just wasn't working. It was turgid. Just blocking. It just wasn't happening. And he stopped partway through his preach. And he turned to Donald and says, Donald, I need you to pray. And the young lad just lifts his eyes to heaven, quotes something from Revelation and said, Oh God, there is power there looking up to heaven. Let it loose. And again, like a hurricane, power of God just descend upon the room. Now these are really telling times. It's perhaps something that we don't fully understand, but this is this is this has a taste of what Pentecost must have been like. Floodgates of heaven opened. Donald MacPhail actually did then train for the ministry and went off and spent decades uh, ministering in Saudi Arabia and the Yemen. And actually I can't read very much about that either. But an amazing adventure. Um, Pete Gregg, who you'll know from the 24-7 prayer meeting, he does a little bit in his book called Dirty Glory where he goes and actually interviews him. By accident, he bumped into him. <laughs> By accident. He bumps into him up there and uh, they have a chat and a meal together. He stays a night with them and uh, found an amazing chap. He's dead now. So, final slide. Thank you, Toby. The psalmist in Psalm 85 has the cry, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? And I wonder what some of these tales of these adventure people have for us, particularly this one that I've been talking to you about. Two elderly sisters crying out to the Lord that the Spirit would move in their town fill their churches with young people. One 16-year-old boy discovering a real faith in Jesus, being filled with the Spirit. It's not just famous church leaders and international missionaries that have adventures with Jesus. It's ordinary people where they live, like you and me, with an extraordinary Savior. And secondly, Throughout any of the history of the revivals, you will find that the most the critical factor 
you'll probably already, you'll already know this, you'll have worked this out. The critical factor to the, re the revival, the happening of the revival, was the prayer that went into it. That's the big story here, is the prayer that went into it to release heaven. And all over the country, right now, churches, Christians are praying for revival. Here in King's Church, there is a faithful group who meet every Wednesday to pray for this. We need to unite in our prayers that revival would come to our churches to fill them again and to our nation to turn it back to God. And finally, I'd just like to leave you with encouragement, particularly young people who are here, particularly teenagers, uh, but also their parents. I became a Christian at 17 while, I, obviously, I was at school uh, and um, was through a Christian fellowship in school. But And it was an exciting time for me. I usually are. But my experience of church life was actually that it was quite dull. And for 10 years thereafter, um, I did find church quite difficult and quite dull until I joined one of those slightly newfangled house churches that had cropped up where I was living. And this was a place where the people really took God seriously, where the Bible was preached as the truth of God, the word of God, and where the spirit was evident, both in the sharing and the gifts that were given. This was a revelation to me. And my my son goes to a church down in Cambridge. It's a group of three quite large churches, independent grouping of three. And one of the leaders of the church, uh, when we were talking about churches generally, said, I want to thank you. We thank God here for New Frontiers. Which is a bit of a surprising statement. We thank God for New Frontiers. And the reason is we know that in every university town, there will be a word and spirit church that our youth will go to, will, will have the opportunity to go to. And I thought about that. That's not revival, but that's an encouragement to say that there is a lively church community throughout the country. And it's not just New Frontiers. In each of those university cities, there'll be a whole range of different groupings of churches. Even in the, within the traditional churches, there are lively word and spirit churches. And it isn't even just the university towns, it's the smaller towns as well. And they are growing. There is a place where you will find folk who will welcome you, who will support you, who will feed you. And you will find, you will find the Lord there. And that... I think, is a thing to really rejoice in at this time and be thankful to God about. Thank you.